0: Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast. We're here as usual to answer questions about your practice of mindfulness in our tradition and your application of mindfulness in your daily life. So if you have questions at any time, you can ask them in the chat. We'll spend the first 15 minutes collecting the questions and apart from asking questions, and just spend the rest of the time in silent meditation, walking and sitting or walking or sitting. And I will be back 15 minutes after the hour or two in answering. All right, it's 15 minutes after the hour. From here on, we'll close the chat to everything except questions. So if you have questions, again, you can continue to ask them. Otherwise, just close your eyes, stay mindful.
1: Thank you, Bante. we do have questions. How conceptual can we be in day-to-day noting? Is opening, washing, Putting, cutting—too conceptual. They're not really conceptual because they're describing
0: actions. The problem with them is they're 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 a little bit lazy, um, well, not lazy, but um, vague or gen- general. I mean, they're they're generally describing more than one experience, but they're still descriptions of experience, so they're not conceptual. If you said like opening the car door introducing the car door into into the equation is is conceptual right because the experience isn't of opening the car door car door isn't part of the experience it's just opening you can describe a a movement as like a pulling sensation as opening for example Um, but pulling would be more accurate now the thing is in daily life you don't have to you aren't it shouldn't be expected to be so a- accurate, and so things like opening, washing, putting, cutting are are fine. Um, now, as you progress in your practice, if you want to be more specific, that's great because the training, right, the noting is is meant to train you in a skill. So, the harder it is, or the more challenging you make it, uh, the more the better better trained you'll become if you're up to the challenge and you don't want to go too far or push yourself too far if it becomes stressful or or uh, panicky you know then then it's then it's harmful rather than helpful so you need to find that happy medium and in daily life it's okay to be a little bit in specific
1: I note cold when I am cold, and impatient when I am impatient. I see it does not make them go away. Will patience come naturally, so I can endure them without desire for them to go away? Well, if you want them to go away, you have to note
0: that as well. That's all. It's pretty simple. See, it does not make them go away. Yeah, all you're missing there is really the desire for them to go away, wanting or frustrated or anything like that. Just note that. I mean, you're developing patience, right? Every time you note and you've kind of push yourself or, or um, for I don't wanna the force is the word I want to use, but it's not it's a bit misleading. You're not forcing, but you're kind of forcing yourself or making yourself face them. You know, facing them. You're facing them and that leads to patience.
1: When touched by a neutral feeling, my mind begins to panic and wander back to pleasure. Will this get better with time and training? There is something about a neutral feeling that brings anxiety and panic.
0: Well, you don't want to have the attitude of wondering whether it's going to get better. Um, And because that that wondering or wanting is going to lead to more anxiety and panic. You want to be more just facing the panic and not concerned about whether it's going to get better or worse. It's, I mean, really, just the question already makes the assumption that it's bad. And technically, you could say it is bad, but when you have that attitude, it's problematic. You have to start to just face the panic and craving for pleasure. Just practice. And the neutral feeling doesn't bring anxiety or panic, it's just how you're reacting. There's probably a little bit more to it than that, but it doesn't matter, you just note the anxiety, note the panic, not trying to fix it or make it better, just trying to change your attitude towards it and towards the neutral feeling. You also want to note the neutral feeling, calm, calm, or neutral, neutral, or just feeling, you can say for neutral feelings, unless you feel calm, you can just note feeling, feeling.
1: How do you get back into a meditation schedule after a long, irregular break due to general life stressors such as financial insecurity, etc.?
0: Well, the best way is through intensive practice or association with other people who are practicing. But barring that, you just do it. It's you—you you be a, a, a exceptional in being, you no. Know? you have to you have to be exceptional to want to meditate and to be able to meditate regularly it's not something i can tell you how to do you have to be exceptional and so that requires goodness you have to be a good person doing good things helping others being ethical that sort of thing and practice you just have to do it
1: sometimes i find it helpful To reflect on my defilements, and I say to myself about my anger, for example, this is the same thing that is cause for war out in the world. Is this good practice? I mean, it's not actual practice. It's it's a
0: reflection, and those are valuable, but they're pretty insignificant. They're not really going to fix things. So, oh. yeah, I mean you maybe question how you why you find it helpful. Maybe it makes you feel better, that sort of thing, but that's not um the, the best thing for you. The best thing is to face them and understand them and see about them and the the things that you get defiled about, to see that they're impermanent suffering and non self.
1: Killing an animal breaks the precepts, but eating its flesh does not. Consumption creates demand for killing. Are we inadvertently contributing to the killing indirectly, or am I overthinking this? Well, it depends what you mean
0: by contributing. Um, Consumption creates demand. Demand. Consumption creates demand. No, the word demand is misleading because literally it's not demand. You're not standing there with a gun to someone's head saying, I demand you kill, right? That's what demand really means, although that's not how we use it, of course, and that's not how you're using it, but it's misleading how we use that word because it sounds like it's something something inexorable or unavoidable, and it's not. Consumption um, is often associated with desire or accompanied by desire so if there's desire for killing then there are people who are going to see that as a means of uh, of livelihood but it's still on those people to decide oh these people want me to do something very evil or these people want something that i can do i can uh, i can supply them with if i do something very evil so i'll do that very evil thing so i can supply these people with the thing that they want and make get money back from them. So it'll be a way for me to make money if I do this terrible, awful, evil thing. That's all that happens. If you consume meat without desire for the meat, then you're not even guilty of that. You're you're just eating it because it's there, right? If your family makes meal or fr- make your friends make a meal and you eat it, there's no even not even any desire, so you're not going to be um even in that extent to that extent involved um but you can see how you are triggering that in people they say oh look at these people buying meat right or look at these people you're not even talking about buying you're saying eating look at these people eating meat i bet i can get them to give me some money if i go and kill some animals and and supply them with that meat you see where it's going i mean this is very sort of roundabout and and indirect. It's not really related at all. The the important thing in Buddhism is your state of mind. It's not actually the consequences of your quote-unquote actions. The real actions are your intentions, your inclinations in your mind. If you have cruelty, thoughts of cruelty, if you don't care about other beings or their lives, that will lead you to kill. If you have greed, that can also, of course, be involved with you wanting to kill. And delusion is, of course, at the root. So the answer to your question probably is, yes, you're overthinking it. Or you just maybe there's uh, some lack of clarity, in intellectual clarity. So maybe some of these things I've said have helped clear that up. And it's not really overthinking because it's an important point. It's important to know that you're not being cruel or, or unethical. But um, the problem with ethics is it's often very intellectually. It's discussed very intellectually, and that's not at all significant in Buddhism. Buddhism isn't an intellectual or philosophical exercise. It's a very real, practical, psychological exercise. So you worrying about this is already unwholesome, and that's where you might want to look.
1: Do you have advice on how to be mindful when the present moment is unbearable? Well, the present moment is never
0: unbearable. Um, The present moment doesn't have that capacity to be unbearable. It's you reacting in some way that you don't bear it or you are unable to bear it, which I guess is just mincing words because that's really what you mean. But let's make it clear that it's on you and it's just your attitude rather than the actual present moment because when you think of the present moment as unbearable you're putting it on the experience you're saying this experience is bad and the experience is never bad it's your reactions that are the problem and that's not that's not to criticize you it's just that's that's how the where the problem lies and if you look at it that way then you know that you can change your attitude and if you could possibly change your attitude then the present moment would be bearable not only bearable but uh comfortable so it's about becoming independent and not reacting to the present so mindfulness is for i don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate if you've done our at home course that's maybe a good place to start
1: is it necessary to develop access concentration before beginning the noting practice no. Can you explain to me more about Samawaja?
0: Samawaja, right speech comes about. It's ba- basically the absence of wrong speech. So when you're practicing mindfulness, uh, you already have that. But it's especially po- potent because of the mantra. You know, when you say to yourself, "Stepping right," that's about as right speech as you can get. You're accurately and truthfully describing reality. So it creates, among other things, it creates this habit of truthfulness and truth speech, right speech. So it's very powerful and realigning your speech towards what is true right as as you say to yourself rising watching the stomach you may not realize it but there's a very powerful speech component there in terms of uh your your habit and your inclination to, to what you say so that when you then go and talk to people you've already got this psychological habit of saying of speaking the truth so um i mean that certainly fulfills the samavajja component of the eightfold noble
1: path Should we replace anger with metta in daily life or just note it and let go? Is there a way to surely prove if one is sotapanna? Those are two very
0: different questions. (laughs) Um, So both are fine. You can do metta as well as noting. As far as letting go, don't worry about that. Letting go means just not reacting to it. Anger's already a reaction, so when you note it, the idea is that there won't be more anger. Um, but yeah, I, I, kind of the the point there is that, yes, it's okay to just let the anger persist. Just make sure you're noting it, because sometimes it's it's uh, too powerful. It's not under your control. So just sit and note angry, angry, and be patient with it, especially because patience replaces anger. It's, it's uh, the opposite of anger, angry. Anger. Is there a way to surely prove if one is a Sotapanna? Um, I don't know about proof, per se. Uh, you, you you can, the closest you could get is... Um, well, the, rec- the rec- recollection of the experience of Nibbāna is part of it because you would recollect that you experienced Nibbāna not that you remember experiencing it, but you had the coming back experience that um, freed you from so many defilements and created such a deeply profound peace and, and purity in your mind that it's uh, it's hard to forget that. But as far as, in terms of your behavior, you would notice that you're unable really to break the five precepts. You're unable to break the five precepts and you'd notice that there's no... Part of your mind that um, would allow you to ever break the five precepts. That's pretty telltale. Also, the clarity about, but this is a little more hard because you can't even fathom what it would be like to uh, be on the wrong meditation path. But you really have no capacity to believe that something that is useless to becoming enlightened could be useful, right? You have no uh, capacity to uh, be on the wrong path ever again in terms of this leads me into enlightenment. But it is hard because I say these things and many people who aren't sotapanna who hear these things, would get the idea that they are sotapanna based on what they are. They say, oh yeah, well that's me, that's me. But it it's really just overestimation. That's quite common, so it's hard to be sure.
1: I heard that the relics of the Buddha come together to teach for five days before the Dhamma would not be there anymore. Is that right? And should we wish to get there?
0: Yep. You should have a desire to be in heaven, waiting around with all the other devas who will bring together the relics in Bodhgaya for the final teaching at 5,000 years in about 2,400 and some years from now so work your way to be in heaven and, and then you wait and we'll have that big meeting at the end those of us who are left
1: in one of the dhammapada stories a servant who was stealing m- from money to buy flowers from her master got enlightened after hearing the teachings. Can you be enlightened even if you break a precept? Yes.
0: Yes, of course. There was a story of a man who was drunk and went to see the Buddha and sobered up just by seeing the Buddha and became enlightened. Yeah, breaking the precepts aren't... um, aren't prohibitive, they're just harmful. And it's less about breaking the precepts than it is about the mind behind breaking the precepts.
1: When samadhi, states of tranquility or rapture arise in our practice, can learning how to cultivate these states to deeper levels be a support to vipassana?
0: Samadhi doesn't mean states of tranquility or rapture. Samadhi means concentration, which is really just meditation, which is included in the practice of satipatthana, which leads to vipassana. Samata is a state of tranquility. That's a different term. Uh, Rapture would be a translation of piti. Uh, Learning how to cultivate, so put aside the word samadhi, that's misleading. Can learning how to cultivate these states, the samatha and piti, lead to to deeper levels, be a support for vipassana? Hmm. Yeah, indirectly, if you then go on to make an effort to practice satipatthana, but many people don't, and if you just are content with those states of samatha and piti, then, then it won't, um, so they can be a support, but it won't lead to. The important thing to understand is supportive, yes, but, um, leading to, no, it don't lead to vipassana. So make sure that if you do practice them, that you then practice satibatana too, um, to actually attain vipassanā or seeing clearly.
1: Could Buddha have meant anicca, signifying not due to one's will, when he spoke of anicca?
0: So this is a really odd question i've I've actually gotten this question before i don't know if this asker is the same person but i think actually someone wrote about this and tried to promote this weird 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 view along with other weird views of theirs which is I mean, it's just absurd really i mean you can see for yourself that it's spelt differently and that's a big deal in pali i mean It would be like saying, uh, when the Buddha said kamma, did he really mean kamma, which means um, patience? So um, the reason why we have problems in our lives is because of bad patience or something like that. I mean, you could make up any such armor. There's absolutely no evidence. I mean, it it would mean the invalidation of huge tracts of texts spoken by the Buddha. I mean, when the Buddha uses the word anicca, he he, he couples it with other words like viparinama, which means change, right? Viparinama, alteration. It's a a synonym for for anicca. I mean, there's the Sanskrit anitya. It comes from nitya, nitya, which means permanent. So, yeah, it's it's such an incredible, unfathomable stretch to suggest that... um, Unless I'm missing something blatant, but I mean, how? You'd be invalidating the commentaries, you'd be invalidating, again, many of the things the Buddha himself said. I mean, even just the Anatalakana Sutta, the, the second discourse of the Buddha, where he says, Yampana Nichang, Yampana Nichang, uh, Yampana Nichang, Yampanani Nichang. Viparinama uh, damang. Okay, so it's not coupled. It's yampana nichang viparinama damang. So it's not coupled directly. It's Dukkha is also in there. I have to look at the text and see where there are couplings like that, where anicca is clearly a synonym for viparinama. But, um, I mean, it certainly is, and the Buddha certainly has described what he means by uh, impermanence, by anicca. Anicca. Ah, here's one, anicca-vatasankhara-upada-vaya-dhamino. So, like, how could that possibly mean anicca? Not due to one's will are all formations subject to arising and ceasing. No, subject to arising and ceasing is what is meant by anicca, impermanence. Anyway, i spent way too much time on this question. It's a terrible question. Go practice.
1: I'm rich, and I made all my money by sacrificing my time. Now I drink and play video games. I know I need to focus on a direction, but I'm directionless, and I sleep and drink during my waking hours. Do you have any advice?
0: You need to stop drinking, for sure. Video games, not as problematic as drinking but drinking is antithetical to mindfulness so that's the first step but as a support for that you're going to probably need to do other things as well Uh, again goodness is what leads people to, to the right path you want to be a person who wants to meditate who wants to see clearly who wants to become enlightened you need goodness you need ethics so that means the five precepts no killing no stealing no cheating no lying no drugs no alcohol It means goodness. So you're rich. You've got lots of money. Use that money for good. Help other people. There's so many people in this world that are suffering just because they don't have enough money. People who can't pay their medical bills, that sort of thing. Uh, So you can help people who are suffering. You can also help people who are doing good things. You can support your local Buddhist monastery or meditation center, that sort of thing. You can build a meditation center. We have someone here who's building one with money that he inherited. Uh, and you have to practice. You need to do some meditation, even if it's just five minutes starting. My father uh, started meditating a couple of years ago. He he got very, very angry and kind of upset and realized that he needed to do something, and he's just changed his life, starting with five minutes meditation a day, 10 minutes. Now he's doing like 30 minutes a day every day. He does some meditation, and he says it's really changed a lot for him. So those three things are pretty basic. It's called dana, sila, bhavana. Dana is charity or doing good things for others. Sila is ethics, not doing bad things or harmful things to yourself or others, including drinking alcohol. And bhavana, which means mental development,
1: I find it ironic that at death, your whole life flashes before your eyes. The same sort of thing happens in renunciation and meditations, just more slowly. Is renunciation similar to death?
0: Well, your whole life doesn't flash before your eyes, right? Not not your whole life. Um, But we keep things in our mind and in our brain, I guess. And there's a real shock that occurs at death or kind of a... Uh, dissociation that somehow frees up these memories very quickly so i guess the shock and the, the dissociation kind of creates a greater clarity mental clarity that allows them memories some sort of freedom freedom from the brain you know the brain is kind of like a filter or a a lens that only allows a dirty very dirty lens that only allows you to see and Experience certain things. So, being kind of dissociated from that, and people have near death experiences will often describe the clarity and just the, the peace, you know, the freedom from all that oppressive physical, um, you know, the physical body is very oppressive. So, it's very peaceful and, and happy and pleasant to be free from that. Meditation can be similar, you know, there's a, there's the dissociation in the sense of letting go and you're kind of not weighed down by your reactions so much. So memories that you've been holding on to have some freedom to arise.
1: I notice my income is decreasing because I'm working less and I notice unpleasant sessions when I think of it. Do I simply continue practicing until wisdom arises? What should I do about it, if anything?
0: Well, you should definitely note the unpleasant feelings, the displeasure, the fear, or disliking, or whatever it is. Um, But yeah, you don't want to neglect livelihood that allows you to live. Income decreasing isn't problematic until it becomes not enough to survive. So that's when you, what you have to assess. Sometimes you can be oblivious to worldly concerns, and you shouldn't be. Even monks have to be uh, conscious of worldly concerns like eating and bodily maintenance, the requisites. You need the four requisites, food, shelter, food, clothing, shelter, clothing, food, shelter, and medicines, right?
1: When noting thinking, it often triggers anxiety. And with anxiety, I go back to thinking, is there a way out of this loop? Mindfulness is the way out. Just
0: note thinking, note anxiety. But you're also missing the third factor, which is the physical manifestations of anxiety. And it's often the case with anxiety where people... Think of the physical sensations of anxiety itself. they conflate the two physical sensations are not anxiety, they're just feelings, so you should note them as well that's prob that's possibly you're missing what you're missing here, and if you focus on them, it can stop the triggering of the anxiety because they will re-trigger anxiety. you get anxious and then you feel the physical manifestations, the tension, the stomach, and the head, and that sort of thing, and then that makes you more anxious i make sure you're noting them.
1: I'd really like to increase the time spent in meditation, but when I pushed it, tension arises. Do you have any advice? Yeah, don't worry about the tension, if
0: that's your only concern. Look at how you react to the tension. Does that mean you don't like it? Is that why it's a problem? Are you worried about it, afraid of it? You should note those things. Tension isn't. Tension is just a sign that you're still clinging to things. So it's good to see that. Mindfulness is about facing. Now, if you didn't want to meditate, that would be a bigger concern. When you want to, and you're just, whatever, you're reacting to some physical experience of tension, you just have to note those reactions. That's the whole point of practicing.
1: There is a really kind girl in my class. I saw her brother, who is around 14 years old, smoking in the school bathroom. I am unsure if I should tell her about her brother smoking or keep it to myself. Do you have any advice?
0: Uh, Okay, so the general rule of thumb is um, do what's reasonable. And that's a horrible advice i mean that's just so so it's kind of so generic that that's not very helpful, but remember that as the main principle what is reasonable and what that often translates into is know your place you know is is it reasonable for you to get involved if this was your your uh if she was your wife maybe then uh, maybe girlfriend possibly um but you're not, my point is, you're not very connected to these people. And so it's not your place. It's not very reasonable of you to get involved. But from a Buddhist perspective, you're not really um, right. You're not really right to get involved in other people's business. Much less than we think in the West. We're all up in each other's business, and that's not the best way to live your life. If this kid was doing something that was horrible, like um, really committing horrible atrocities against other people, like bullying them or that sort of thing, then I would certainly think about getting involved. So like a bully, for example, in the context of school, a bully is really everyone's problem, right? You you really should have a little bit of uh, involvement in classmates being bullied, for example. I mean, in my mind, I'm I'm Western, so in in Asia they might have a more they might tell me no, 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 don't get involved even with bullies, but I can't help it. I think I would get involved to some extent with a bully, not not a lot, but you know, a little, trying to help the bully change their ways, help the people um, be free from the bullying. You know, it just seems reasonable. But as far as someone who is just a friend or her brother smoking. I mean, it's not really related to you. So that's the kind of thinking that I would go through. But honestly, you just try to be mindful and do what you do and learn as a result. Don't worry too much about what you do and what you don't do. If you feel it's reasonable and right for you to tell her, then just make sure you're mindful when you do it. And life is a learning process. And much, much, much more important than what you do is your state of mind when you do it. Before you do it, when you do it, and after you do it. After you've done it, how do you feel about it? And make sure you're not uh, reacting as a result of what you do and what happens. Because sometimes maybe she says, butt out, it's none of your business, or whatever. Or maybe she gets devastated, or maybe he comes and gets angry. And then you're upset, right? You say, oh, I did the wrong thing. Make sure you know then as well. You have to be mindful after you do things. These are the three things you have, three parts of an act that you have to be mindful of. Before you do it, be mindful. As you're doing it, be mindful. After you've done it, be mindful.
1: How does one develop Sangvega?
0: association with people with good people always going to be a good answer you be an exceptional person is really the only true answer so again you got to be a good person you got to do lots of good things you got to be ethical you got to be kind and helpful to others and you got to practice mindfulness meditation
1: I read in a book from Ajahn Tong that jealousy and boastfulness disappear too when one is Sotapanna. What do you think about it? Yeah, that's not from Ajahn Tong. He's just repeating
0: what the Abhidhamma, or what the commentaries say. I think even what the, uh, what the suttas say, though I'm not entirely sure where that originates from. But anyway, it's that's canonical. Jealousy and boastfulness um yeah i mean if you want this is a question that comes up in the visuddhimagga it has whole lists of all the things that disappear at the different stages of enlightenment in the uh, near the end of the visuddhimagga
1: have you been to any mahasi place in sri lanka do you have any recommendations
0: Yeah, you go to Nisarana Vanaya. It's sort of Mahasi. I think he also teaches Anapanasati, but that's only because most people want to practice Anapanasati. But he spent time in Burma, Dhamma Hamdru. So I'll go to Nisarana Vanaya. It's uh, in Mitrigala, between, well, it's just east, east of Colombo ways. There's also Kandu Bodha, which is sort of Mahasi, but Seems to also incorporate a lot of other things, but also a good place, I think. Oh no, it is there's two Kandubodhas, right? The one Khandubuddha is I think very Mahasi and the other one not so much.
1: Do you agree there's with
0: There's also there's sorry, there's also one in Colombo, but I think it more used to be Mahasi and was kind of taken over by a monk who is not so Mahasi anymore. I don't really know, but I went there and visited there and didn't really talk, didn't talk to the monk, so I don't really know what goes on there. But it used to be the Mahasi center back when Mahasi was still alive. I don't think it's I can't even remember the name, but there, you know, there's one Mahasi center in Colombo, and I wouldn't really depend upon it because I've heard that it's not really orthodox anymore, not for a long time.
1: Do you agree with Camus' statement that life is absurd? Does trying to change things make a difference in the end, even trying to build a decent life and get married, or the hard work of scientists to go to Mars?
0: I don't think, I don't think Camus was talking about scientists going to Mars or decent life and getting married. I think it was more uh, like existential, right? It was about the importance of ethics. Didn't Camus write *L'étranger*? I read *L'étranger*; it's a horrible book. I really don't. I don't agree with Camus much at all. I mean, some of the things, I suppose, but no, absolutely not. Ethics is very important. He's making a big mistake. Life is not absurd. Life is very reasonable and meaningful. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe I guess I'm probably missing a lot of Camus' philosophy, but um. The things you mention, like trying to build a decent life and getting married, the hard work of society, is absurd from Buddha's perspective, sure. But that's not life, that's misguided life. That's society, that's worldliness. The world, the way of the world is absurd, sure. But I think Camus' problem is, I think, from my understanding of l'étranger, is he um, he lumps ethics in there as being absurd, as being a human thing. I don't really know. Again, I'm probably horribly... Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can only go by what you're saying now and by my imperfect memory of l'étranger read in French, which isn't my French is not great. Um, but... Uh, and it was, of course, when I was in high school that I read it. But, yeah, no, life is not absurd, but the way people apply it is often absurd.
1: Can you also mention Mahasi meditation centers in Europe? Well, there's one I've heard about in the UK
0: called uh, Satipanya. And uh, I've heard really good things about it there's also um, in germany a couple of places it was one in frankfurt and one in stuttgart under Ajantong. so you could check out those as well
1: i used to meditate a lot before but now i have sleep apnea and get headaches and lack of sleep do you recommend Satipatthana on the feelings of discomfort and pain?
0: Well, absolutely. Pain can be a real catalyst for enlightenment. It's one of the four exceptional ways of becoming enlightened. Through pain, through sickness, through death. Right. pain. I think the third one that I'm forgetting is um, postures. broken Yeah, I think the third one is changing postures. Sometimes when you change postures because you were in a posture that was leading to imbalance like Ananda when he changed when he lay down as he was lying down just the change in posture was enough to adjust his faculties. Anyway, so pain is one of the big ones. So absolutely, mindfulness of pain is an integral part of the practice. I don't know if you read our booklet, but it should certainly be in there.
1: Could you please mention Mahasi centers in India?
0: Hmm. I don't know of any. Um, I know there's one in Nepal. That's apparently very good, and Nepal Lumbini, so not Nepal Kathmandu or anything. It's close to India. You just have to cross the border in. Can't remember the name of the place. Anyway, you you go to Lumbini. Actually, I think if you're Indian, you don't have to cross there. I think there might be another place you can cross if you're Indian. I'm not sure. We have to cross at one border crossing and quite a bit east of Lumbini. So then you have to head back west to Lumbini. But in Lumbini, at the big Buddhist uh, world, kind of a Buddhist, Uh, kind of almost like a what what you could imagine a Buddhist theme park, not in a bad way, but basically a Buddhist theme park, a Buddhist park. Uh, But one of the places is uh, Mahasi Center, right there. I've never been there, but I've heard good things.
1: we've asked every question put before us. We're all out.
0: Okay. Thank you all for your questions. Thank you, Chris, uh, Jim, Subutsu, Subitsu, Sibitsu. Edit. It's edit here. Everyone who's helping. I wish everyone peace, happiness, freedom from suffering. Have a good week. Sadu, Sadu.